good to see everybody this morning. Um, it's great to be together. This is the third time I've had a chance to preach on a Sunday in the 20, almost 26 years I've been a member. So that's about once every eight years. So 2024, it's like a comet that comes around. <laughs> Stick around. I'll be back. I, if you haven't had a chance to see some of the lessons from the St. Louis Conference, there's something called DTV. I don't know how to find it. My wife does. But I had a chance to watch some of Sean Wooten's message this morning. It's super high quality, high definition. Uh, I think a one-year subscription fee of like $9.95 or something like that. I would strongly encourage you to take some time to get your laptop out, stream it, push it to your TV or whatever that, however that works, and listen to some of those things, okay? There's some tremendous messages. Uh, we're not in St. Louis today, but we can definitely come away with the messages that our brothers and sisters who heard, uh, who heard them there live did as well. They're fantastic messages. You know, it's been a uh, tough week for our city, and the challenge for us as Christians is how do we process this? What do we do? And how do we think? Our world is angry. Our country is angry. Um, people don't talk. We yell. And what do we do as Christians? How do we, how do we, what's my role in this thing? And I don't have all that answered out. I can't fix the whole city of Dallas. And I can't fix our whole country. But I, I, I do have one scripture. And it's a scripture that my wife and I would share with our children on the first day of school every year. And we raised kids in our home for 25 years. And so I want you to read that, this scripture with me. It's uh, Philippians chapter 2. This has nothing to do with the sermon. All right? Clock has not started. But I'll be shorter than Todd. That you can be sure. Okay? It says, uh, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may not boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in or labor in vain. I can't fix it all. But the Bible says, I need to shine like a star in a crooked and depraved generation. Guess what? Every generation is crooked and depraved. And I need to hold out the word of life. And that's how we'll change our city. That's how we'll change our country. And that's how we're going to change the world. We're here today because somebody held out the word of life to us. And they were a shining star. So when you go back to work and people are angry and frustrated and uncertain, you do this. Amen? Amen. So that's the sermon. That's not the sermon. Let's get into the sermon. Um, it's been quite a week. Our um, number two son, Daniel, who's 25, was married this past Saturday in Austin, which is great. And I know he terrorized some of you in children's ministry. I know that for a fact. And, uh, but he has now grown up and is an accountant and has his master's degree. And yeah, wow. And, uh, and he met a young lady uh, at Texas State 
uh, in one of his classes, and she came out to church and became a Christian and became his wife. And so God is awesome. And so we had that this weekend and got back home. It's been somewhat of an interesting week. I'm probably the only person in Dallas that has experienced two power outages in the same week. So we, you know, that little thunderstorm, you got two? Amen. Three. Oh, you're lucky. Trifecta. And so we got to work. I got a call at 530 in the morning. I run a nursing home in Mesquite, a large facility. And our power went out at 1250 a.m. Tuesday morning, Monday night at the facility. And, you know, we can't not go to work, all right, because we got people to take care of. And so the power out was out that day for 13 and a half hours uh, before it was restored by Encore. Then uh, yesterday afternoon, the wind of God came through the city of Louisville, and I was thinking Twister movie and stuff flying, and so we lost our power. And it came on at 325 this morning. So um, uh, it's been an interesting week, and, uh, but we're good to be here today. It's good to be able to worship with people. It's good to have electricity, and don't take that for granted any longer. Um, I've been learning about myself that I struggle with anxiety. And I may be the only guy in earth, the planet earth that does, a person. And I have not, I've been trying to figure out how to resolve it and get to a place of peace. Psalm 37 and verse 8 says, do not fret for it only leads to evil. So, all right. You know, and anxiety ought to be an easy thing to fix. The Bible in Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious. There it is. Just don't do it. Well, that verse doesn't work on me. And, you know, we all have times where when you struggle with something, you have go-to verses, don't you? And I know Philippians 4 is a go-to verse for a lot of people. It says, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So that's one of our go-to verses. And if I started asking, we'd all have go-to verses, right, that make you feel good when you're having those moments. Well, mine is Psalm 23, and so this message today is entitled Psalm 23, and I have no points. I have six verses, and we're going to spend some time in these verses, and we're going to walk through Psalm 23, and if there's something you can gain out of this that I share, amen. If not, it was really something I did for me, okay? So there it is. Um so let's, talk, let's turn to Psalm 23, because this is one of my feel-good verses. But I started asking the question, why do I feel good when I read it? Well, it does make you feel good, but is there a basis for it? Does it really fix the issue? And it says, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. 
Let's say a prayer. Father, we thank you for this psalm here. We thank you for the peace that it brings in our hearts. Help us to dig in and understand it more so that it will change how we follow you and change how we walk the path of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of these psalms, when it's read, you just get silent, don't you? Because it says something that says something that's deep. And it talks to us in a way that maybe sometimes other scriptures don't. So let's dig in. The Lord is my shepherd. The whole psalm hinges on that phrase. You don't get this phrase right, you don't get to experience the rest of the psalm. This is the Old Testament version of saying Jesus is Lord. And David was able to say in his life, the Lord is my shepherd. Most scholars believe this was written later in his life, perhaps after Absalom's rebellion. So David had been through the wars. He had seen his family torn apart. And then he comes back and he writes a shepherd. He's not a boy when he writes this. He's not the shepherd boy before Goliath. This is the older man. And he's able to come back and say, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, how do we know the Lord is our shepherd? Well, the next phrase defines it. I shall not want. Now, I want you to think about your life. How many unfulfilled wants do we have carrying around in us, walking around with us? These desires that we just don't seem to satisfy. We think they're needs. They're really wants. Because the Bible's really clear. The Lord is my shepherd. The more he's my shepherd, what does that mean for my wants? They go away, don't they? Life gets really simple and clean and pure when we have surrendered to the shepherd. When he really is leading our lives. I shall not want. Are our, line, our wants in line with the shepherd? Think about your life this week, this year. Are you at peace? Are you still kind of angsty and grinding about the wants? Okay, keep going. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Green pastures. When I think of green pastures, I think of one thing. I think of Ireland. The whole country is just this giant pasture that's lush, that's green, and it's just perfect. Now, I've never been there, probably never get there. But that's what I think of green pastures. The temperature is 68 degrees year-round. You know, it never gets hot. There's no humidity. It's green pastures. Well, he's talking about Palestine here. So we need to think West Texas. Okay? This is the context. Not Ireland. The green pastures he's talking about exist in West Texas. Somewhere between San Angelo and Midland. And I have never been out there. I have no desire to go there. But I know one thing. It's dry. It's rocky. And there's just not a lot of green. Now, how many of us are from West Texas and will vouch for that? Am I close? Yeah, Carrie said, well, Carrie, we're not talking about the golf courses. Okay. We're talking about non-golf. 
Okay, green pastures. You know, we think our life ought to be a giant green pasture. We're Americans. How do we create green pastures? It's about money and comfort and stuff. That's a green pasture to an American, an American Christian. Do you think that's the context there? You think this has anything to do with finances and how big our house is and how nice our cars are? Not at all. This is a spiritual psalm. But in America, in American religion especially, it comes down to comfort. I'm in the green pasture, and I want to live in the green pasture because the green pasture is just comfortable all the time. And that's how we want our life to be. And we, we equate that with God somehow. That this is what we ought to be. But it has nothing to do with that. Uh, the still waters. You know, one thing he talks about, he lies down with still waters. Think about sheep. They will not lie down unless they are completely feel safe. And that comes from the shepherd. He's led them to the green pastures. He's put them in still waters. And they're safe, and they sit. Um, now, who, who, who knows where the, the green pastures are in this passage? Do the sheep know where the green pastures are? The shepherd does, right? Now, what do we tend to think? I know where the green pasture is for who? Me. And I'm going to go to my green pasture. That's not the shepherd's pasture, is it? And what happens when we get onto our own looking for our own pasture? That's bad stuff, isn't it? Now, you might have money, but you got bad stuff. And what happens when we look in our marriages and we try to do our own green pasture? Marriages get messed up, you know. Uh, we've got to find the Lord's green pastures. Now, what's interesting, I watched a video, um, and I'm not sophisticated enough to have put it up there, so don't worry, you're not going to see it. All right, uh, you got to go with me on this. But it was a guy doing a passage, and he was looking at shepherds uh, grazing in uh, Palestine, and the green consisted of puffs of grass amongst the rocks. Again, not Ireland. And they would go up the hill because he knew where the green puffs of grass were. That was considered the green pasture. Okay? It's like, wow, that's not very encouraging. But he leads us to green pastures. He provides what we need. Okay? And he talks about, he, he continues on. We're just going through the verses here, and we're making some observations, correct? He restores my soul. He brings about righteousness in our life, forgiveness in our life. You know, our journey is a spiritual journey. It's not a material journey. It's a spiritual journey. It's a faith journey. This message here today will have no to-dos in it, okay? I will not go out and tell you to do anything. And it'll be a message about faith and your response to that. He leads us in paths of righteousness. Now, I want us to understand about our lives. 
more of our life are, our lives are going to be spent on paths than they are in pastures. Okay? We think our life ought to be spent where? In the pasture. In fact, when he says it's time to leave this pasture, we don't often want to leave that pasture. I took a poll of our family group the other day, and you have to be 50 years old to get into this family group, all right? So you can kind of get the, the demographic of it. Uh, you have to be 50. And so Robin just turned 50, so he's in the group, of course, um, Robin Fry. But none of us wanted to go back to the green pastures that existed when we were 25 years old. They were very conv convinced of that. It was a good pasture for when you were 25, but it's not a good pasture for when you're 50 or more, okay? In fact, you'd be kind of weird if you wanted to kind of stay in that pasture that long. People would look at you as strange and take a step back and not want to be associated with you if you were trying to live like you were 25, okay? We don't want to often leave those pastures, but life happens on the paths. That's where you figure out things. That's where you figure out what you're about. That's where you learn righteousness. It's not in the green pastures. It's where you, when you're on the path. And what we've got to learn about our lives, we will spend more time walking between pastures than we'll ever spend in pastures. Okay? That doesn't sound very fun. It's just true, though, isn't it? It's just true. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, we live in a dangerous world. That was really illustrated this week, wasn't it? We live in a dangerous world. We live in a world where we look at our children and we think, how can they maintain some moral clarity in our world today? How are they going to... We, we can be very fearful at times because we're walking through this thing and the things that we thought when we were young that were kind of normal and stuff, that's all been laughed out at and thrown out, and, and, and so what do we do? It's scary. We worry about our children. Are they going to become Christians? Well, my child hasn't become a Christian, and he's 20. Or my child became a Christian at 15, and he's not coming to church. And those things weigh on you as a parent. And you worry and you fear, you know, are they going to be able to make it? We worry about financial stuff, don't we? The econ we worry about if you start hitting a certain age, you start worrying about retirement. And am I going to have enough money just to live when I'm 68, 70 years old? And, you know, I'm going to be 58 in December. So those things sort of start getting kind of real uh, at, at my age now. And so these are fears. Um, about the persistent temptations that we have in our life. You know, that we don't seem to be able to have victory over. Those can be that valley of the shadow of death. Um, you know, if you're single, will I find a husband? Will I find a wife? Is there hope for my marriage if your marriage hasn't been strong? You know, these things are, are real valleys of the shadow of death. Hard times. So what do we do? How do we, f how do we face it as a people? As a Christian, you know, and the non-Christian, if you're not a Christian, you know, we've tried to face some of these things as non-Christians, haven't we? That's why we became Christians, because I thought, I'm not doing this again. It didn't work, you know. I, I, I got married when I was 20 years old, 
And in South Louisiana, you did dumb things like that. Okay? I was married nine months. You know what it taught me? Is I don't have what it takes to be married. On my own. I need the Lord. So this August, we'll celebrate 32 years. That's what you do when you get on the valley, on, on the path of righteousness, is you can build a marriage, and you can see your kids become Christians and, and have hope when you're on a path of righteousness versus a path of unrighteousness. The valley of the shadow of death. You know, sometimes we got to help each other through that, don't we? We need that. You know, in my business, I, I, I'm a nursing home administrator, and I am in a very emotional business. I take care of people's mamas and daddies and husbands and wives. And I watch men lose their wives after 60 and 70 years of marriage. I see daughters lose their daddies. And they come into our, our facility, and they are grateful initially. They don't want to be there. Nobody wakes up and says, I can't wait to move to the nursing home. you know. So nobody wants to be there. They don't trust you. But they know they need you uh, because they've already tried to take care of mom and daddy at home. And so but there, there's emotional things that go on. And a lot of times what they're doing is they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. They know death's coming. And my challenge is, is for me and my staff, is not to step back and say, oh, they're just a crazy family member. But it's to grab their hands and walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death and pull them out on the other side. And, guys, we've got to do that for one another. We have to do that. That's why we have God gave us the church. Right. Is we've got to grab the hand and I say, oh, brother, I know you're going through a hard time. We're going to walk it together. Right. We're going to bond and we're going to connect, sister, and I'm going to walk this valley with you. Now, ultimately, we have the Lord with us, but a lot of times he works through each other, doesn't he? And we've got to help each other get through this thing, through these hard times. And it may be seasons. Our lives go through seasons where it's just hard. And, you know, we've had times where it felt like it lasted a year or two, and it was just Man, life's hard. It's just not fun. And you're looking around, everybody else is doing great, and you're just kind of grinding. You know, and you're in a valley of the shadow of death, and you got to get through it. Now, how does he help us get through it? He says, for you're with me. You know, I think sometimes we've allowed the religious world to co-opt God is with me. And they sound so religious. David talked about that. He says, for you are with me, and you are my shepherd. Now, what does he use? He's got a couple tools here, doesn't he? He's got a rod. He's got a staff. Some, some scholars say these were one instrument. Some think they might have been two. And the rod was used to, what, fight off wild animals? Okay, that existed out there when they were going down the paths. It was also used to bap uh, uh, sheep that were being rebellious on the head <laughs> to get them in line. Not the one that wandered, okay? You know, sheep can be kind of out of line, and then they can wander. The staff was for the wanderer who just needed a little help. He got stuck. He just needed to kind of be encouraged. He bapped them on the head when they were being stubborn. Okay? Think about Hebrews 12. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but if you, you know, it'll reap a, if you persist, you'll reap a harvest of righteousness. You know, that's the rod. And then the staff was to bring everybody together, to keep the sheep close. That's the comfort. So he has two ways of working with us, discipline and health and encouragement to stay close. 
when we're in that valley, when we're on that path. Okay, he says next, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, did David have a lifetime of enemies? Didn't it start early? It even was in his own family early on, wasn't it? When they laughed at him, his brothers, like, who are you? Really? And then it went to Saul, and then the Philistines, and then his own sinful nature got him in trouble. Then it was within his own family. You know, one time with the Philistines, he had to act like a crazy man and foam at the mouth. I mean, he had enemies. So God says, okay, I'm going to prepare a table for you in the presence of all your enemies. And I'm going to show my blessings to the whole world. And I'm going to bestow on you. Look over in Psalm 37. 37. This is another one of my good psalms. Psalm 37 says, Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the noonday dawn, like the dawn, the justice of your cause, like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. So, David, this is just another way of saying what David just said in Psalm 23. He's going to take care of us. He's going to make our cause shine like the noonday sun. Trust in him. Don't fret. Because what's our temptation? To go be anxious and fret and worry. If you read verse 8 there, it's going to talk about leading to evil there. And that's bad news. So worry is leads to bad stuff in our life. Okay? Um, he prepares this table. I want you to think about when we're not letting the Lord be our shepherd. Okay, and that happens in our life probably more frequently than we realize. What's our table look like compared to his table? Okay? What's my life look like when I try to take control compared to the, the table that the Lord has, wants to prepare for me? His table is pretty rich. And it's rich in relationships. It's rich in forgiveness. It's rich in peace. It may not always be rich in cars and house and money. Don't know. But it's rich in the things that matter, that are going to last through eternity, not just on earth. He goes on next. He says, you anoint my head with oil. You know, we saw that happening to Jesus, didn't we? He was was anointed by a prostitute. You know, that was a sign of an honored guest, the perfumed oil when you'd been on the on the trail, and they'd come in, they'd put oil and kind of clean you up a little bit, get ready for the banquet. Then he uses the phrase here, my cup overflows. You know, at a banquet back in those days, you knew the banquet was supposed to, it was, the, the way you got the message that it was time to leave, if you were the guest, is when they quit filling your cup with stuff, with drink. So they might fill it up halfway, which was a signal that we're getting down to the end here, buddy. And it was a polite way of saying, you've stayed long enough. 
okay? So what is the imagery here? Not only does God not just fill the cup up, but it overflows. So what is the message there? That this table that he has prepared for me, I can stay as long as I want. It never ends. That this walk I have, this walk of peace and abundance spiritually, never has to end. When the Lord is your shepherd, it is a cup that overflows. You know, the world tries to pour a cup that's enticing and looks good. And we look at it and we get envious of it. And we think, man, it tastes so good. It's sweet. And it makes me feel good. And I look at everybody around me and they seem so happy and together. And if you struggle with that, read Psalm 73. Spend some time this week in Psalm 73. And you'll see the perspective on that. Okay? But it's, it's, a, it's a banquet that's going to end. Because that cup is never ending. Satan's just trying to make it seem good to pull us on in. But it's a cup that's not going to last. So our cup overflows. And if we've really surrendered, as we continue to surrender to the shepherd, we can enjoy more and more of this feast. Then he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What is goodness? You know, he's just going he's gonna to take care of us. He's going to take care of us. Does that mean we're going to be rich? See, only in America do we go there. we got brothers and sisters that are just hoping for food. You know, I had two days this week. I had 25 hours of no electricity this week. Oh, my God. And there are, are people in our fellowship that they have 25 hours of electricity in a week. And we think, I've got it hard. It's not about material, guys. This psalm is not about material. It's about the spiritual blessings of God. Surely goodness. Um, and then finally, mercy. The forgiveness of sin. That will. What does he say? The imagery here is, I'm walking down a path. Okay? I'm on that path of righteousness. I've left this pasture, and I've got the shepherd in front of me. All right, or he's right behind me or right beside me. He's got a rod, he's got a staff, and he's using whatever I need to kind of keep me on the path because he's got a pasture way over there that he knows is perfect for me. That exactly what I need and what my family needs. And behind me, I've got goodness and I've got mercy. That wherever I go on that path, there's two things that are behind me, that follow me, no matter where I go. Now, you think about your life. No matter where you go, if you're putting one step in front of the other, trying to follow the shepherd, you can know that there's mercy behind you and there's goodness behind you. God's going to take care of you, and you're going to have what you need. Maybe not everything you want, because we dealt with the wants back in the beginning, didn't we? And we've kind of clarified and we've gotten a lot of the wants out of our hearts that could gum up our hearts because we're going to simplify our lives, simplify our hearts. So I'm going to have goodness behind me and I'm going to have mercy. And when I fall and when I sin, guess what's going to be behind me? Mercy. Mercy. And I need mercy. 
So how does David conclude this whole thing? And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Are you kidding me? You think I'm going to leave with all of this? I've got this? And you think I'm going to go try and go to that pasture? No way. I'm going to live in the house of the Lord forever. And I want you guys and me, we've got to make a decision that there's no back door. Okay? This is where I've made my bed, and I'm going to live in it. Okay? And I'm going to dwell here today. Yeah, there's going to be hard times and all that. Yeah, absolutely. That's life. We're going to spend more time on the path than we are in the pasture. But I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever because I've got all this surrounding me. Okay? So, Psalm 23. I've run out of verses. I did find this little thing written by a guy whose name I can't pronounce. Arno Gabelin. I told you I couldn't pronounce it. And he, he summed up this. I shall not want for rest, because he makes me lie down in green pastures. I shall not want for peace, for he leads me beside still waters. I shall not want for forgiveness. He restores my soul. I shall not want for guidance, for he leads me in paths of righteousness. I shall not want for companionship, for you are with me. I shall not want for comfort, for your rod and your staff comfort me. I shall not want for provision, for you prepare a table for me. I shall not want for joy. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overruns. Uh, everything in time, God, for goodness and mercy shall follow me. And everything in eternity, I shall not want for, because I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay. So, this psalm helped me with my anxiety. Okay? And I'm learning to live at peace and live the day I have before me and not get crazy about the future not worry about the past, that's done, but to know that God has a place for me if I'll just stay on the path. Amen? Amen. Amen. I hope this has been of some encouragement to you this morning. Uh, I was told to do a communion talk after this, okay? But I wanted you to look at John chapter 10, and it sort of ties in. And in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he has laid down his life for us. And we're here today because of that, because of his death. We're here today because of his resurrection. And because of that, we have family, we have a future, we have one another, and we have forgiveness of sin. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. We have the little communion cups. If you need a little communion cup, um, raise your hand. They'll be brought to you.